Good morning, ladies. <laughs> well, no, you don't have to be quiet. It's fun to listen to you all talk and engage with each other, and that's wonderful. That's great. Uh, before we begin today, uh, I have some important business to take care of. Not, not really business, but uh, I am, and I know you all are too, um, so grateful to the women that lead your small groups. Uh, I, I love teaching Bible study, but the only reason I get to do what I love to do is because they're willing to come alongside me and shepherd you and care for you and do the tech stuff in the back as Angela does. And, uh, so, and, and I don't even get me started on Mandy and Melinda and all they do for me. Uh, so they, get, they get frequently get texts on Monday, hey, could we put a video clip in tomorrow? And they always say, sure we can. And I'm sure behind their, under their breath they're like, Amy. But uh, so I am, no, yeah, Mandy. Uh, I am so tremendously grateful and I do have a little thank you gift for each of them. So if you would come up here, please, my six wonderful small group ladies and Angela as well. And would you please give them a hand because they are wonderful. This is just a really small token but tasty, because I am who I am. It is food. Token of my love for you. My mother was known for eating something all the time, and she'd say, that was the best thing I ever put in my mouth. She had like 200,000 best things she ever put in her mouth. This is, and there will be those who will testify to this in the room, the best peanut brittle you have ever put in your mouth. <laughs> Whoa, okay, get away from there, get away from there. Okay, let's bring it over here. You're welcome. Oh, I was just gonna hope somebody would be, see Brandy. Or, you're pregnant, eat it. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I bought one and only one extra bag because, and hopefully the children get to it before I do, although it's in my car right now. If I buy too many extra bags, it's not, not a good thing. It's, is there some place you should buy the peanut brittle? It is made, how many thousands of pounds? Over 6,000 pounds of peanut brittle a year are made by Avery Presbyterian Church in Bellevue. They have been doing this since about 05 of 1905. <laughs> okay, 1955. Been doing it since 1955. I can, I can tell you it is a huge, huge undertaking because my husband was in charge of it for two years and for two years I felt like a widow at Christmas time. It was not good, but we won't go into that right now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, uh, it is, it's fabulous peanut brittle and so enjoy. Although if you want some, you best call today because they already have, I believe, 5,000 pounds on order. So, or maybe more by now. And they just started yesterday. They just started making it yesterday. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's something else, but it's, it's good stuff. In fact, I was in there this morning picking it up and 
watching that they, they wanted me to stay and help them make peanut brittle, but I told but them I couldn't. Couldn't do, couldn't do that this morning. So, do you have any questions for me before we begin this wonderful passage on putting on the full armor of God? Emily. Yes, and I will talk about that. In fact, the two words up there, Rama and Lagos, are about that. And basically, though, it's the gospel message. But I will talk about what he means by the word of God. Any other question? By the way, that was the question of this group over here, so you are not alone. Diane. Okay, can you say that just a little bit louder? Yes, in the heavenly realms, we will, we, I will definitely cover that too. It's the spiritual reality, but we will, it's not in heaven, but uh, we will talk about that. And that's what he's meant throughout. Uh, and part of the reason they know that is because of this passage, because what are the, you know, what is Satan and his minions doing in heaven, if that's what he means? So that's part of the reason we know that. Yes, Angela. Uh, uh, what is the day of evil? Yes, and, and I'll discuss that too. Any other questions? Let's pray. Father God, thank you very much uh, for this day, for this semester, for this book, this letter of Ephesians, for this passage that we're looking at today and, and the power uh, that it has and the passion that you can almost feel uh, coming out of the page at, at you when you read it. And I just thank you and praise you for that and for the truth of your word that we have as a belt. No, yeah, belt of truth <laughs> around us. And we thank you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we, uh, we get today to this wonderful passage that is so well known in Ephesians 6. And, and one theologian called it an effective summary and challenge. It's a summary in that Paul repeats a number of the themes and the terms that he's used earlier in Ephesians. In fact, one of my commentaries, and I don't have it right here, but one of my commentaries had a, had a half a page in very small print of all of the different themes that had been repeated from earlier in Ephesians. Some of them are power, the heavenly realms, truth, righteousness, the gospel, peace, faith, mystery, and the spirit, just to name a few. So you probably didn't even realize that as you were reading it, but he's pulling back so much of Ephesians into this as he's writing. But it is also a challenge to us, and it's intended to be a challenge, and it's a challenge that he has been building up to uh, the, the entire letter, but particularly since 4.1, when he began what theologians call the paranesis, the encouragement, the exhortation of the letter. Remember, nope, don't do that, Amy. Remember in 4.1, it says, as a prisoner of the Lord, for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And in Ephesians um, 4, 17 and 18, uh, it's, it says, wait a minute. Huh, Interesting. It missed part of it. Uh, do not live as the Gentiles do, is the first part of that, that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, darkened in their understanding. Wow. 
Pacifica Passa, from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Wow. Wow, I have no idea how that happened. Interesting. And there's five of them. Wow, okay. So none of these turned out the way they were supposed to, but hey, that's okay. And, and then the last one is, um, I tell you to live, to, to be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time for the days are evil. So he's told them to, to live a life worthy of the calling. He's told them not to live as the pagans do around them, not to live as unbelievers. And he's told them to be very careful and be, be very wise in how they live. Now Paul makes this passionate appeal uh, for them to put on the full armor of God. And he intends for it to rouse them to action. Much like the, the clip that, that Emily showed last week of 300, and like other movies like Gladiator and Braveheart that my husband and my sons, and apparently Emily, love to watch, <laughs> and they make me watch, and then I don't sleep that night. But, but if you've seen, if your husbands have made you watch that movie, or Emily, if you've made your husband watch that movie, um, you know, you, you can, you can, you can feel their passion. Well, that's what Paul is doing. There's even a term for it in the Greek. I can't remember what it is, but, but he, is, he is wanting them to prepare for battle. And you don't prepare for battle by saying, well, good luck, guys. <laughs> Hope you don't get killed. That's not a good speech before battle. And so part of living a life worthy of the gospel and part of living not living as those around us, as the world lives, and part of being very careful and very wise in how we live is to gird ourselves for action, is to put on the full armor of God in order to engage in spiritual warfare so that we can stand no matter what trial comes our way and so that we can withstand the attacks of Satan. So Paul is going to tell us exactly how we do that, and his desire is to motivate us to action. And he's going to, I'm just going to read the whole passage because I want to see this in its context. Uh, and so this is, this is what he tells us. And hopefully, of course, I do own a Bible, and I do have it with me. Hopefully the rest of these work. Oh, look, finally be strong in the Lord and put on the... It's the other, wow, okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you be, I, I gotta tell you, the second graders at my school are memorizing this whole passage, and they pretty much have most of it memorized. And hearing second graders, I almost recorded them. But my favorite part is when they go, so when the day of evil comes, <laughs> it's just so adorable. But anyway, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Oh, no. I went on too far. Comes from... Wow. I may have to get out my Bible. 
and take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil, evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So, uh, I'm going to get out my Bible because I can see that I'm going to need it. Um, so there are three commands, three imperatives in this passage. They are be strong, put on the full armor of God, and stand. Um, and uh, I want to go through and look at each one of those a little more closely. So beginning with Ephesians 6, verse 10, and we're going to look at, um, it's right there. We're going to look at um, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's a heading over this whole passage. That's kind of the thesis statement for this whole passage. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Now he begins this passage which, with the word finally, which possibly means for the remaining time. So in the time you have left on this earth, uh, put on the full armor of God. But it more likely is what it appears to be, which is the beginning of the closing of the letter. Finally, after everything else I've said, hear this. When I was a coach, I, I was told that the only thing that's really important that, that, that should be the last thing you say. So the thing you want, because really after a timeout, what they're going to remember is the last thing you say. And so just you know, make sure that the last thing you say is the most important thing. And that's kind of what he's doing here is finally, here's an important uh, thing for you to remember. Uh, and he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So let's break that down a little bit. Be strong. The Greek tense of, of this uh, command indicates two things. First of all, it indicates that it is something done to believers, something done to Christians by God. Meaning it's not something they do to themselves or for themselves. It is the work of the Spirit in them. The second thing that is indicated by the Greek tense is that it is an ongoing, continual empowering. It's not a one-time, put on the armor, you're done. It's a continual thing. Now remember, we talked about last week that, that we cooperate with the Spirit, that we're not puppets. So we can, we can uh, quench the Spirit as well. So we want to make sure that we're cooperating with the Spirit. But it is something that the Spirit does to us. So finally, be strong in the Lord. So draw near to him. Draw on his resources. Uh, know his strength, because that's what he says. 
Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now remember that strength, Paul told us earlier in Ephesians, is the strength that rose Jesus from the dead. And Paul says it's already yours in Christ. That power, that mighty power is already yours in Christ. So Paul essentially is is telling us to act on what we already know, to act on what is already true for us in Christ. His mighty power, it's not our own power. It is God's power for us, available to us. So then he says, put on the full armor of God. He earlier told us to put on the new self. Same verb. Put on the full armor of God. And he's essentially saying the same thing. To put on God's armor is to put on the new self. Now, this armor of God, uh, there are three possibilities of what this is or what it means. It could be, mean the armor that God provides or that God gives to us. It could mean the armor that God himself wears, so God's armor. Or it could mean the armor that is God himself, that he is our armor. I had you read uh, some of the passages from Isaiah, I think 11, 52, 59, that talk about God and his Messiah and the armor that they wear. So uh, they speak about God and and Messiah going forth with this armor, which is very similar and and definitely informed Paul's writing in Ephesians 6. And I think all three of these things, the armor that God provides, the armor that God wears, and the armor that is himself God, are all three in this passage uh, at some point. And I think all three are true. God gives us his own armor to wear. Uh, to put on. Uh, And by putting on that armor, uh, that is part of what it means to be imitators of God. In in Ephesians 5.1, Paul said, be imitators of God, therefore. So when he tells us to put on God's righteousness, we're imitating God um, in in that. Uh, But there's also a very real sense in part of this armor that it is God himself who is protecting us. Uh, We talked about how the Old Testament... Uh, In the Old Testament, God is a shield uh, to those who take refuge in him. So I think all three options are available in this, that it is the armor that God gives, definitely. It is the armor that God wears, and it's also the armor that is God himself. So what is the purpose then for us taking up uh, this armor or putting on this armor? The purpose is so that we can stand against the devil's schemes. So we don't fall. Uh, to the devil, fall prey to the devil. And then he says our struggle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That word struggle is very interesting. It's the only time that that word is used in the New Testament. But it was a very common Greek word for wrestling. This is really close-up, intense struggle. Anyone ever have someone they love be a wrestler? Anybody? I did. It was my kid. It's not fun watching your kid wrestle. He played football, I was okay with that. He was a quarterback, so he didn't get hit very much. He was a baseball player, he was a catcher. That was harder. When he pitched, I had to go around back and walk because I was afraid he was going to hit somebody else's kid in the head. But, um, 
but that wasn't so bad. Watching my baby basketball was fine. Watching my baby wrestle, oh my goodness. First of all, he puked almost every time afterward. That's how intense it is. It's three minutes. Oh, it's an intense three minutes. And it is crazy weird, and it's crazy intimate. You got some guy's legs wrapped around your head, <laughs> facing you. Oh, heavens to Betsy. I mean, it is. And, and some guy's turning your kid into a pretzel. The body is not meant to bend in such directions. It is an intense struggle. And that's the word picture that Paul gives us with this battle. Our struggle is not against each other. And when we fight each other, we are not fighting the real battle. Our struggle is not against human beings. It is against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Now, when, when he says all these things about uh, against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of darkness. He's not naming all different kinds. He's not trying to, to delineate between what kinds of spiritual forces are out there. He's trying to drive the point home. He's making a rhetorical point. Is It's a real struggle, and it's really important that we stand against them. He's piling up terms for rhetorical impact. But what does it mean, then, that they are in the heavenly realms? Paul has used this term repeatedly in Ephesians, and everywhere it means that this struggle is part of a greater spiritual reality that exists as surely as our physical world exists. There is a spiritual world. There are spiritual beings that exist. And I, I probably shouldn't take it this far, but I think this helps us understand it. it is, he's essentially saying in the spiritual realm. Uh, I think heavenly gives us the idea that it's a place, it's heaven, but it's in the spiritual realm that's taking place, and they exist in the spiritual realm. So then he says, therefore. He says, therefore, since we are engaged in a spiritual struggle, we need to put on spiritual armor for it. Don't run into the battle unarmed, unprotected. We need spiritual armor, armor so that when the day of evil comes, now he's not so much talking about some day in the future, some big climactic battle. He's saying anytime evil appears. So when evil rears its ugly head, you're ready. Whenever evil rears its ugly head, you're ready. And then comes probably... Uh, my favorite part of this, where he says, um, oh, I'll look it, uh, look it up here. Where he says, uh, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after, th after you have done everything, to stand. He is really hammering home the point that we are to stand. He's saying, do everything possible. Allow God to do his work in you. And then stand. The command could not be more firm. Well, I just want to give you a couple of thoughts about this part of the passage. The first thing, and I mentioned this in the study, but I think it's so important and so instructive, is that the verbs throughout all of these verses, 10 through 20, are plural. It is intended to tell us that we stand together. Ladies, there's no such thing as the Christian Lone Ranger, and I think sometimes we get the idea that these are individual soldiers that are being girded for battle. It's an army 
that's being ready. That's the picture that he wants to give us, that we stand together, as Paul said in Philippians, contending as one man for the faith. Uh, we are intended to stand side by side in this struggle, and that makes us stronger. As I was looking over this this morning, and I don't know why this popped in my head, so that, uh, I just always think, well, then say it. When we, we are struggling with sin, when we are struggling with Satan, and we keep it private, he wins. We need to confess our struggles to one another because we aren't spiritual warriors alone. We are in the battle together, and it's when we begin to sit down with, with a friend and say, here's what I'm really dealing with. Would you pray for me? That's when Satan's power is broken, is when we're honest with each other and not trying to put, put on the Christian happy face and my life is perfect and my family is perfect and everything is perfect. It's not. Not for me, and I'm sorry, ladies, but not for you either. I'm not sorry. And so when we begin to be honest with each other and begin to confess our struggles to one another and we begin to pray for one another, we stand and Satan falls. So what are these spiritual forces that he's talking about? It's, he's talking about Satan and his minions, Satan and his demons. They are real, personal, created, fallen beings. This is not some spiritualization of human evil or evil uh, enterprises or organizations, as some theologians tell us, although Satan is the power behind any evil uh, in our world. But the other thing I want to make sure you understand is what is the power of these powers? Because people can go too far the other way and live in mortal feel, fear of powers that have been subjugated, powers that have been defeated. And Paul wants to make sure we understand that too. Our struggle reflects a heavenly reality. It's in the heavenly realms. That means these powers are subjugated powers. They are part of the all things that have been put under Christ's feet, that have been made his footstool, as Paul told us earlier in Ephesians. They are defeated already. They have no power over us. They have no authority over us, except what we give them but they have no real authority or power over us. They have already lost the battle that was determined at the cross and at the empty grave. The very existence of a church that has been reconciled to God and reconciled to one another is proof that the battle has been won, that we have victory. However, as we've also talked about, we live in the now and the not yet, what is already true, and what hasn't been completely fulfilled. So the battle has won. Satan knows he's defeated. Have you heard that thing about when the devil reminds you of, his, of your past? Remind him of his future. Uh, he knows that. He knows that. Uh, and so um, the, we live in that now and the not yet. And the victory has not been fully cons consummated. And so therefore, we can still be attacked. We can still be tempted. But notice, nowhere does Paul urge us to win the battle. It's already been won. He commands us instead to stand firm and to withstand Satan's insidious attacks. So what this means, I believe, at least in part, is that I don't think we should give too much attention 
to the powers themselves. I don't think we should spend much time thinking about them or talking about them. Our focus should instead be on putting on the full armor of God. Satan would love for us to concentrate on him and be worried about him and be afraid of him rather than what we need to do to defeat him. Don't give him that satisfaction. Concentrate on Jesus and on the full armor. So then how is it that we stand firm? Beginning at verse 14, it says this. I'll go ahead and do this and we'll just see. Oh, look, there it is. And it's just fine. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So this is the armor of God, and this is how we stand firm. This is how we resist the enemy. We stand firm by allowing God to work these pieces of spiritual armor into our lives. And ladies, either we are putting on that armor and resisting Satan and therefore standing, or we're not. We cannot, we cannot simultaneously fight and cavort with, fight against and cavort with the enemy. So we are either putting on this armor and standing, or we are not. If we fail to put on God's armor, we will fall. So what is this armor? The first one is the belt of truth. The truth of God is his truth revealed in the gospel. To put on truth, we have to know it. We have to know what it is, which is part of why this is so important. Getting into God's word and knowing what it says. Truth is an important theme in, in all of Ephesians. We've been told to speak the truth. We've been told to live the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth in John 14. In Isaiah 11, it tells us that, that the Messiah is girded with truth. When we put on God's truth, when when we make it, when we live it out, when we make it part of the very fabric of our lives, we are strengthened and we are readied for action, for battle. And then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. We must be armed with God's own righteousness. This means this is what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. This is what it means to be an imitator of God, to imitate his righteousness. And again, we cannot fight Satan if we are not living lives worthy of the gospel. If we are not living lives worthy of the gospel, we are essentially fighting on his side if we're living like everybody else in the world. And then the third thing is feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, what does Paul mean by gospel? It's the good news of Jesus that allows us to stand firm. But at the same time, it's also the message that we are to proclaim to the world. 
And both, both things are true in this passage. Paul is telling us both things, that, that the gospel is the truth of the, of, of the gospel message that allows us to stand firm, and it is the message we are to preach to the world. And it is the gospel of peace. Remember earlier in Ephesians, Paul said that Jesus, or, or the Spirit, preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. He preached peace to the Gentiles and peace to the Jews, both of whom have been reconciled to God and all of us have been reconciled to each other in Christ. This peace is peace with God and peace with each other. It is truly a gospel of peace, good news of peace. So the shield of faith, then, is our protector, God is our protector. As I told you, Proverbs 35 says, he is a shield, God is a shield, to those who take refuge in him. At the same time, faith is a shield. That word for faith is pistis, and we've talked about this again, or we've talked about this before, where that word can mean faith, or it can mean faithfulness depending on the context. So is it God's faithfulness or our faith in God that is our shield? The answer is yes. I think it's both. Our faith in God, our, our, our trust in him, and also his faithfulness. If this comes up here, it doesn't. P.T. O'Brien said something really cool there, but that's okay. And this one, wait. Oh, are you working with me here? Yeah. No. Well, that's part of it. But we'll just we'll just go back to 14 through 17 and uh, I won't look for it in the in the book. But you get the idea that because of God's faithfulness and because of our confidence in him, our faith in him, we can bat away any of the darts, any of the flaming darts the enemy may throw our way. It is our protection. It is when we stray from him and begin to doubt his faithfulness and his goodness that Satan's attacks can take hold. And then he says to put on the helmet of salvation. Our salvation is our protection against Satan. As we lay hold of that truth, as we rely on God's spirit, and as we live in light of our status as adopted sons and daughters of God, any power Satan has against us is broken. We have every confidence, every reason to be confident about these, this, the outcome of this battle. Amen? When we put on the full armor of God. And then he says to take the sword of the Spirit, the only um, offensive weapon in the bunch. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That word for sword is not some rapier big like my, my grandfather's World War I sword that's like this long. It was a short-handled, short sword meant for close combat, hand-to-hand -hand combat, intimate, intense battle and struggle. This is an intimate and personal battle, and it calls for an effective weapon. And the sword of the Spirit is such an effective weapon because it is the sword of the Spirit. 
which means that it is a, a weapon that is empowered by the Spirit. It is the Spirit that makes it effective. Now, when Paul says the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he doesn't mean the Bible as we know it, because this, like this, didn't exist. There were copies of the Gospels circulating around by this time. Uh, there are places, even in the New Testament, where it talks about Paul's letters as though they were Scripture. Um, but it, and he doesn't mean the Old Testament either when he, when he says this. What Paul means by the Word of God is the Gospel message. The revelation, or has, as Paul has called it, the mystery concerning Jesus as Messiah. So the sword of the Spirit is the gospel message. What I find interesting in this is the word that Paul uses for word, the word of God. Usually what you would expect Paul to use is this word logos, which is the word that is used in John 1, where it says, in the beginning was the word, logos, Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Paul uses the word rhema. One of my third graders is named Rhema. Uh, Rhema, which means the spoken word. So what Paul is telling us is that the sword of the Spirit is, is the word of God, the spoken word. Paul is stressing the speaking forth of the gospel is a weapon against Satan. Preaching the gospel and having people's hearts turn to God is the most effective offensive weapon we have um, against Satan. I had another quote, but uh, we won't try that. Now, the Bible, of course, both proclaims and explains the gospel. Uh, and, so, and we call it the word of God, and I, I think that that's absolutely accurate to do that. Um, and it's very important in our battle as well. So I'm not trying to denigrate God's word here um, that I teach, uh, but just saying that isn't what Paul would have meant in this instance at that time. And then in verses 18 to 20, Paul says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So Paul tells us to watch and pray. Those things are essential to standing firm. Prayer is a key to employing all of the other weapons. Prayer empowers us. It changes us. Without prayer, we will fall. We stand on our knees. There was a song years and years ago by one of my favorite early Christian bands called Petra. Anybody old enough? Oh, thank you so much. The title of the song was Get on Your Knees and Fight Like a Man. It's how we fight. It's how we do battle on our knees. We stand on our knees. And, and Paul emphasizes the importance of this by using the word all four times. He says, on all occasions, or at all times, pray at all times. 
with all kinds of prayers. And then he says, literally, with all perseverance, or always keep on praying. But literally, it's with all perseverance for all God's people. This is a picture of continual prayer and watchfulness. Always keep on praying in the Spirit. Now, what does he mean by in the Spirit? That's not in tongues, as some would suggest. It means prayer that is inspired and prompted and guided by the Spirit. In order to pray like this, we must be alert and pay attention to what the Spirit is doing and pray for each other. I think Paul is talking here both about planned prayer and prompted prayer. Planned prayer is a regular time of prayer where we commit to listening to and talking to God. But prompted prayer is prayer that is prompted by the Holy Spirit. Unexpected prayer, maybe. I've already told you about times when I wake up in the middle of the night and, and I figure, well, I'm supposed to pray. There are other times when I'll just be driving or I'll be wherever and somebody comes into my mind and I just figure I'm supposed to pray. And so I pray. I think prompted prayer is also very important. I love Paul's prayer request for himself that he would preach fearlessly. What a great prayer request. What would happen if we began to pray that for each other? That we would live and speak fearlessly, fearlessly for Christ. This is, this is a powerful word picture that Paul has given us. This is a, this is a picture of, of warriors in, in full riot gear. And the word picture works. It's just, I think sometimes... Christians don't know, they're on the SWAT team. It's like they show up for the battle and they're like, I don't have my gear. And they don't even realize we, we are on the SWAT team. And so we better be prepared for it. We are in a spiritual battle. And if we don't get even that much, we will fall. There's no way we can stand. We need Jesus and his armor to stand firm. Amen? Well, the last part, uh, the last few verses, uh, that's another quote. Uh, the last few verses uh, commend Tychicus, whose name I've been mispronouncing for years. Uh, Tychicus, didn't know that until recently. Uh, who was the letter carrier, probably carried both Colossians and Philemon at the same time. And then Paul ends where he began, where he says, peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Paul ends where he began. He says, grace to all those who love Jesus. And then it says, in immortality. And, and the NIV says, who love Jesus with an undying love. Actually, what I think Paul is saying there is grace to all those who love Jesus who is already reigning and will reign forever. To me, that makes more sense to the Ephesians and, and the themes of Ephesians than who love Jesus with an undying love. So peace, love, faith, and grace is how Paul ends this letter, which so much of it was about peace, love, faith, and grace. 
Ladies, it is a tremendous privilege to be your teacher, and I do not take that lightly. Thank you. It is also a tremendous pleasure to be in Christ with you, and that has come to mean so much more to me as we have studied Ephesians together. And I would just like to leave you with this last word of encouragement from this fabulous letter, that God has provided you with everything you need in Christ. Therefore, live a life worthy of that gift. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this semester, for these women who are dear to me. Thank you for your word, which is even dearer to me. Father, I just pray that what we have learned from Ephesians will be lived out in our lives as we live with grace and truth, a life worthy of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ladies.